You're listening to Roots with South Asian today. This podcast is being recorded in Australia on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. Welcome to the second episode of Roots with South Asian today. My name is Dilpreet Kaur and I'm very excited to be speaking with Shamila Gopalan, one of Asia's top 50 women leaders and the founder of Herwit, a profit for business female focused leadership firm. Welcome to Roots Shamila. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me Dilpreet. I'm it's an honor to be on this podcast with you. <laughs> Thank you very much. To begin with Shamila, I am curious to know what exactly is Herwit and why did you start it? Herwit is a profit for purpose venture that I started in July 2019 where I work with ambitious female founders and entrepreneurs to literally pivot, scale, grow their startup or small business while I help them amplify their voices and position them as inspiring leaders. to ignite conversations that will create a positive change especially for young girls and women around the world. My whole mission around Herwit stems from wanting to create more female leaders and role models, especially um in the diverse cultural background and community. And this comes from my own experiences uh, growing up as well. Right. I can see on the website that Herwit means here's what I think. Yes, yes it does. Did you come up with it? Is there a story behind that? <laughs> yeah, so when when I first started brainstorming and putting the business together, I had a, a bunch of different names for for the venture. And um this actually was quite an interesting one because when I first started Herwit, it was going to be very much around thought leadership content. However, with COVID, I think one of the things that me as as a startup and a small business had to do was I had to pivot that aspect of the business. However, it still resonates and still flows back to the core of here's what I think. It does position women and I do help women founders, entrepreneurs, solo entrepreneurs to actually scale their business, grow their business, pivot their business, whatever they want to do in in wanting to become a successful entrepreneur, but at the same time, I put their voices out there, their messages out there, what they think, what the what their experiences have been, what their challenges have been, because I think many a times we as women don't really get asked that question. I I felt that, you know, her with was really great because it's her and wit you know it's like it was apt for what i wanted to do with my mission as well i love that so before we started recording i was talking to shamila and she told me she's lived in malaysia in singapore in america even in india so now that you're living in australia i am curious to learn from your perspective where do you think the representation for south asian women stand in this country I have to say I mean obviously if if you're comparing it with the countries that I've lived in I would definitely look at the representation for particularly in Australia really really small or even non-existent uh to be honest I mean I don't know if you're aware there was a report done in Australia Australia wide in 2018 on the representation of 
<clears throat> just say leadership, right, across uh, AXX 200 governments, universities. And that report actually um, stated that 95% of senior leaders were Anglo-Celtic or European background, with only 5% of non-EU accounting for that leadership group. Mm-hmm. And if we are going to start looking at breaking it down to South Asian and specifically women, I think it is going to be, like I said, minuscule or possibly even non-existent. We definitely have a long, long way to go. And um, there are several barriers that need to be broken down. But I'll be very honest, from the time I've been here, I think we can start seeing, I wouldn't say the barriers specifically for South Asian women, but I think specifically for culturally diverse people. And, you know, that would include women, that would include non-binary cultural communities as well. That representation, that voice starting to come through. I, you know, I think we just need to continue to, I hate to use this this sentence, but fight the good fight, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and I think we need to do it as a community and as a collective in order for it to actually come through to see the results of more representation of culturally diverse people and specifically women and, and even more specifically South Asian women. Yes, I see the same kind of pattern in journalism as well. Mm. When I was doing my master's in journalism from the University of Melbourne, I saw heaps of people of color around me Mm. studying media subjects, podcasts, videos, publishing, writing. But when I entered the newsrooms in Melbourne for internship purposes, I hardly ever saw any people of color around me, hardly ever saw a South Asian journalist. And it made me think... Yep. It's not that people of color are not studying journalism, but people of color are not able to pierce through these newsrooms. They don't appear on our TV screens. Mm-hmm. And Australian newsrooms are still very, very white, even though there's this idea of a multicultural Australia, but I never see it in the media. That's exactly right. And I think, I don't know if you heard, there's a new report that came out by the Media Diversity of Australia. Yes. And it actually proves your exact point, you know, with stats, which literally shows 75% of commentators, reporters, presenters are Anglo-Celtic and only 6% either non-European or, you know, Mm -hmm. First Nations background. I mean, this is shocking. And just like you, when I first got here three years ago, that was one of the first things I noticed. And maybe it's because we come from a media background. It kind of maybe stands out a Mm -hmm. lot more. Um, So when I was watching television, I'm like, why are there no representation of what truly Australia does have in terms of the the diaspora, right? Where are the multiculturalism? Where, mm. where, where are the Asians? Where are the South Asians? Where, where are the indigenous people? So, I'm, you know, I was. That was, yeah, that was definitely one of the very first questions that I asked as well. And I mean, let's not even go further than the news and, and the commentary, because if you look at even the lifestyle shows or the, you know, just the, the entertainment shows. You always see the same host. <laughs> I was like, you have 25 million people and you have the same guy or girl in every show. This is just shocking, right? So Surely you can find more people, exactly. I'm sure. That's exactly right. I mean, it's ridiculous. But yeah, that's where we're at for now. Yeah. 
So what can we do as a country to solidify more brown women in business or journalism or in other professions in general? Well, I think the first thing that we need to really start discussing when it comes to equality is not just from a gender perspective, but to explore this on a deeper level that also goes into culture and race, right? So while there are some similarities in the obstacles for greater gender and cultural diversity, the issues are not identical. There is a much more complex situation when it comes to cultural uh, diversity and inclusion, right? It's, it's a lot more onions that you need to peel. I think there needs to be given a dedicated time and energy to cultural diversity in its own right. When I first you know, uh, came to Australia, one of the things that I was definitely exploring, I had to go out and network and meet people. I went for a lot of events. You know, I started catching up with people. And every time I went for an event, I would say 9.5 times out of 10, the discussions around diversity was always around gender. And the reason for that, if, if we really look at it, and it's quite an obvious reason, I think it's been discussed multiple times, is because when you look at Anglo-Celtic women or European women, that is the challenge that they have. And by all right, it is an absolute challenge. It is an absolute glass ceiling that is there. However, when you dig deeper and you look at the different cultures that, that add on to that uh, discussion, who are not Anglo or European, we have much more, you know, layered discussions that need to, to happen, right? So from not just a gender, but from a culture, from a race, from the biases that exist within those categories as well, which need to be addressed, which need to be discussed, which need to be overcome. So I think that is a very, very important point if we ever want to move the needle, the second huge area is definitely hiring practices. So then first point kind of trails into how do organizations hire? There needs to be more accountability. Having accountability basically means ensuring that they treat diversity and inclusion as a priority and not just a checkbox. Let's be honest. For people who come from a culturally diverse background, for South Asian women, like me and you, whether you are, you know, a migrant, whether you are second generation, you know, whatever aspect in, in society you're, you're at, the challenges of moving through those ranks and even getting to leadership positions, sitting on boards, being in an in a ASX uh, 200 governmental or even universities, right? Which again is quite shocking seeing that we contribute, I mean, in India itself contributes to such a huge GDP towards the country as well as to the education sector that we do not have more South Asian, let alone South Asian women in leadership positions in those organizations. So I think there needs to be accountability, whether it be in performance, whether it be in benchmarking, you know, there has to be something that's put in place in order to force as well as push people in that direction. Uh, you know, when you say hiring practices, I'm taken back to some incidents when I was applying for a job here. Now, when you feel the difference and when you feel different in a country, those kind of biases, you internalize them somehow. So when I used to apply for jobs and they used to ask me, what's your 
you know, do you speak any other language at home? And I'd be like, yeah, Hindi and Punjabi. And there would be a certain moment I was like, are they going to judge me on that? Are they going to be like, oh, another Punjabi. So many Punjabis in Australia. You know? <laughs> so it it's always that, that thing that it's constantly in your mind and that you have to remind yourself that, you know, I'm a proud Punjabi speaker. So I'm not going to hide that fact, but I'm also going to acknowledge what these biases are doing to me on a very subtle level that sometimes I think twice. A hundred percent. If you take the example of you or even myself, like when I first got here, one of the things that I wanted, which I needed to do was build my professional network. Because I came with a, you know, with a zero network in, in a country like Australia and most of in Melbourne. And we know that um, Australia and specifically Melbourne, um, it's really about your community and your connections that is, you know, that's going to open doors for you. So I really had to establish that foundation. And one of the things that I decided to do when I first got here was actually go out and see if I could get a job. I had gone for a few interviews and the pushback for me uh, when I first started going was, oh, you do not have Australian experience, which threw me off because that was quite a shocking, I guess, a rhetoric that kept coming back. And I, I couldn't really put my finger on it. I was like, what really is it? And, you know, after being here for a while, I realized it's, you know, that could possibly be the mindset that a lot of recruiters and employers have or you do not have that Australian Australian experience and they're so set in that in that old school mindset and they do not seem to understand transferable skills as an asset definitely I would say there were some biases that were involved for sure from a cultural perspective as well and I'm a pretty global citizen even for me it was quite a challenge I can definitely empathize for new migrants that come through and the challenges that they have to go through Definitely, I think the hiring practices is a is a big factor that needs to overhaul itself completely. On that note, Shamila, as someone who is counted among Asia's top 50 women leaders, which is absolutely fantastic, what piece of advice would you give to young South Asian women who are starting their careers or starting their own businesses? Well, I mean, the first and foremost thing I would definitely say is you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. (laughs) Because, you know, when you're embarking on anything new in your life, it's not going to be an easy road. You know, whether you graduate and, you know, you're trying to get into your first job or you're moving from a corporate position into wanting to be a business person, it is going to be a bumpy road. You're going into unknown territory. But If you prime your mind to be ready for it and flow with it, then you start enjoying it. I used to be very impatient and I wanted things to move really quickly. And and it was really hard for me when those, you know, when what I wanted or what my expectations were did not hit the timelines I was looking at. I would definitely say, you know, take a step back and just enjoy and go with it. And when you do this, you actually learn a lot from that experience. But I would say the most important thing above all of this, as a multicultural person, as a South Asian, as a woman, you have to be confident to always be proud of who you are. Hmm. And this comes from the lessons I learned when I was younger, trying to fit in because you feel that's what people want. And you tend to do that 
in societies where the majority is not a reflection of yourself. Mm. That's the number one thing. And always speak your truth and do not be afraid to be yourself. Yes, very important. Do not be afraid to be yourself. Well, before we wrap this up, Shamila, one question that I ask all my guests is, if you had to describe representation in a single sentence, what would you say? That's a good question. I would say representation is familiarity. And I think it goes back to basically a good synopsis and conclusion of our you know discussion on this podcast which is being able to see familiar faces familiar challenges familiar conversations whether it be in the media whether it be in uh, government and especially in uh, organizations and in the professional circle because that is where you truly see the representation of yourself in those situations. And I think bringing in the right people and creating that familiarity is what is going to push that needle in where we want to move. Mm. Yeah, representation is uh, familiarity. That's beautifully put, Shamila. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. (laughs) To stay tuned with all our upcoming episodes, subscribe to our Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or give us a visit on www.southasiantoday.com.au.